So my story with running began in 2013. Like that's the official, that's what you'll hear a lot of folks talking about or in other podcasts. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I started running then and it was a way for me to sort of help manage my depression and anxiety at that time. Um, It was after a breakup and um, I was uh, turning to running to sort of uh, avoid having to go see a therapist. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpri. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpri's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a certified running coach and a certified personal trainer. She's an ultra runner who also has a trail running side that she loves to do, um, which kind of goes with the territory with ultra runners. I don't know that I've met any yet that don't also like going out on the trails. She's the founder of Project Love Run. You can find her on Instagram at Runner Instinct or at Project Love Run. Welcome to the show, Philson Abdiaman. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, it, it's always nice. It, so for you, the listener, uh, this comes out on Fridays, but we also record on Fridays. So I always get the pleasure of kind of kicking off my weekend by talking to really cool people. Um, and though I know that uh, the U.S. and Canada share the largest uncontested border in the world. So we're kind of, we're basically neighbors. I still always, I'm like a little kid where I'm like, cool, I'm talking to somebody in another country. Like, I I know Canada's not that far. I've been to Canada. (laughs) But there's just something neat about being able to connect with somebody so physically far away. Um, So thanks again for being part of that uh, for me and, and again for joining me here. Yeah, my pleasure. So um, to kind of get people introduced to you a little bit, um, I know you didn't really have an athletic background growing up, but you got into running kind of mid-20s. I personally know a lot of people who ran for a long time, and then a lot of other people who are like, why would you ever run? Um, But the amount of people that join or begin running kind of later in life, I think is a sm- smaller subset of people. So can you tell us a little bit about your story, how you found yourself deciding to do this thing that, mm. um, you know, at least from kind of where I come from, it's, there's the people that have been doing it forever seemingly and the people that are just like, no, thank you. So <laughs> tell me a little about, you know, how you got there. Yeah, um, so my story, with running began in 
2013, like that's the official, that's what you'll hear a lot of folks talking about or in other podcasts, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I started running then and it was a way for me to sort of help manage my depression and anxiety at that time. Um, it was after a breakup and um, I was uh, turning to running to sort of uh, avoid having to go see a therapist. So rather than paying for therapy, I chose to run um, and I got addicted to it. Um, I should also mention like only in hindsight as I've like grown in this running journey of mine, um, I've come to realize that there were other factors that led to me embracing the sport of running. And um, to give you more context, before I was a runner, I was uh, a personal trainer and I was working out with a trainer as well. I had a trainer um, and she actually uh, encouraged me to take up running as a form of cardio to help with my strength training and um i didn't realize it then but having evolved you can say as a runner um and sort of piecing together my story of running um i realized that i was also using running as a tool to control my body um and that led to other complications much later in life, um, including my history of an eating disorder, disordered eating. Um, But uh, yeah, so there were many factors that contributed to my running. I would say for the longest part though, however, I was focusing mainly on the running from my mental health story. Um, And that's what I told a lot of folks, but I I did realize much later, I would say even just the last few years that I was using running as a tool to control my body and as a distraction from a lot of emotional turmoil that I was struggling with and just didn't really have the necessary tools to to deal with. But uh, I think I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you got it. Yes. I've talked about this with a lot of different guests, the idea of running as therapy or is running therapy. And um, I think the general consensus is, is that um, it is therapeutic, but it is not a replacement for seeing a therapist. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I was trying to remember who my first guest it was I talked to about that. And uh, so, you know, if, you're watching it or I'm sure Philson was watching me do this and you're like, what is like, what is he doing? I was trying to look up the guest's name and it just, it just didn't quite work. Um, but it all, it also remind me of um, Sarah McMahon, who I talked with relatively recently in this uh, season. I think my very first guest where I talked to with the, about the therapy was from season one. So three years ago now, um, Sarah also had uh, an eating disorder and she ran, I believe collegiately, um, again, episode 134. So take check that out and all of <laughs> Sarah in her own words, as I'm sure I'm going to paraphrase and, and mess it up. But um, 
she talked about her story about again like you using running as a tool uh you know that kind of fed into disordered eating and then mm-hmm. having to at least for her case remove herself from running for a little bit to kind of find a, a more positive place for her before she could mm-hmm. come back and be in a more like healthy space and and not be for her it meant gaining weight um and like being more accepting of who she is uh you know i'll say heavier but i don't mean you know just in comparison to where she was um and knowing like that's perfectly fine and then Mm. going on to the point of like she's actually stronger runner now than she was then is able to do more and is you know happier with the sport not as like um i'll say stressed although that's not quite a good enough encompassing word for the situation Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like it was um for me i i didn't really remove myself from the sports what ended up happening is um in my typical manner or fashion i chose to run away from my problems in toronto i was living in toronto for about 13 years um and then around 2017 i decided to move to vancouver bc and um i came here mainly for running but you know of course it was i the thinking was i changed location i will like be a happier person um and over here a lot of the runners that i came in um community with were ultra runners and trail runners and that's a very different sport than running on road because yeah i'm sure you know it's um a lot more um for one you go at a slower pace and two you're out in nature um and it forces you to slow down it forces you it forces you to take note of your surroundings and um there's that heightened self-awareness so turning to words that i would say um became this gateway for me to seek therapy because I realized that I was um, not going to solve any of my problems on my own. Um, but having said that too, I sort of switched up my my approach to running. Every time I would run, there was the intention that I'm running to be alone with my body, to rediscover myself and to unlearn a lot of stories I told myself about what it is my body should look like or how it is I should be um, in my body and sort of using running to help redevelop that relationship with myself. And that's how self-love came to play a big role in my running um, because I feel like I never really had that um, growing up and um, it's what led to the creation of Project Club Run. Um, and so, yeah, I switched up my running to fall in love with myself. And that became my goal. And um, I feel like 
as a result, I healed my relationship to my body and um, became very more in tune with my body. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you were um, you were talking about working on or, or changing, maybe disrupting is the right word. Um, thinking about like cognitive behavioral therapy, like that method is very popular nowadays. Um, the stories, those negative stories, those internalized messages that you had about yourself and who you are and maybe who you should be. Um, obviously this is conjecture. So you, the listener can take it as that. Uh, but I do like to ask, like, I, I think we all internalize different messages that we get from all kinds of different places. Um, so I'd like to ask you about, do you know where those messages came from for you? And um, is there a, do you think there's a way that we can, I guess, stop the flow of this kind of negative self-worth and messaging before it gets ingrained in people? So two, so two-parter, I guess. <laughs> okay, uh, so the first part, um, I think those messages for me, um, just came from the spaces that I was in. So I talked about, you know, being a personal trainer first before I became a runner and just being in that fitness space. A lot of the messaging there I um, later on discovered um, is sort of all about policing your body and controlling your body, you know, watching what you eat and making sure you maintain a certain weight or look. Um, there's a certain image that a lot of trainers strive to uh, attain. And um, those were some of my goals. And so being anything other than that image um, led to a lot of the problems and complications that I had. And um, the messaging that I got was like, you know, you had to be this way um, thin most of the time, you know, athletic, like lean, um, body fat was demonized, you know, um, and so striving towards that um, and not like being able to have that all the time, you know, like, uh, um, made me feel like I was not worthy. And, um, you know, it could just be me and, and the way I felt. Uh, but I think it plays like fitness culture does play a big role in um, folks and most folks is struggle with with body image. And uh, yeah, it's, for one that and then I would also say that and diet culture, you know, it's like they're both the symbiotic parasite, you know, the messaging. Mm -hmm. It's like um, diet culture celebrates what weight loss and um, any weight gain is like, you know, a failure. Um, so those messaging is what I was struggling with and um, how I started to sort of rewrite all of those narratives and um, look at things differently is I, I turned to words um, 
a lot of um, alternative, you know, I would say also fat activists and their um, messaging is that, you know, it's these oppressive systems that make you feel like uh, you are the failure when really it's uh, something that's much larger than you. It's not the individual. Um, and having that message to lean on really helped me a lot. Um, and yeah, I, I, I didn't really do therapy for too long because I couldn't afford it. And so I, um, I really had to work towards finding these alternative sources that reinforced the messaging that I am worthy and this is not my fault in any sort of way. It's the systems and, and um, the cultures that hold up those systems that um, make you feel like you're not worthy. I, as you're talking, I, I made a note, but did you already answered my question? But so I'm going to kind of go back to that. I was going to ask you about um, kind of like a, a little kid. You know, I can't know. I don't know what age kids do this, but it's like toddler-ish age when they start asking why, and they just ask why, why, why like over and over until you feel like there's no answer left. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like that's a tool we should be using more in mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. You were talking about um, how inside of that like personal training culture that there's this, I'll say, you know, ideal body image that you're trying to attain. Like that was your goal. And what, you know, obviously you've gone through this, you, you answered this already. Um, so I'll uh, paraphrase what you said and then please correct me. Um, so like, I always like to go, well, why? Like, you know, we get these ideas about, like for me in particular, I, you know, I wanted to be a pro athlete and, you know, all these things that I want. And, but then if you don't stop and go, why? Sometimes, even if you attain those things, you're left empty because you didn't understand the purpose of what you were doing that to begin with. And I think you said, um, you felt like you needed to attain this to feel worthy. Mm -hmm. I feel like that motivates a lot of people, like the, the, the need for to be worthy or to be loved or to be accepted. You know, they all kind of live in that same realm where it's like, you know, we, we want to belong or to be acknowledged or to, to have some kind of self-worth and like mm -hmm. strive for this external signal that we're worthy, you know, maybe in your case, getting to that, whatever that ideal body image was, or for like me, you know, being a pro athlete and knowing I'm good enough, you know, as an athlete. Um, but that tool of like, why, why, why that toddler, like, why is such an interesting, like drill down. So did you, I guess what I want to ask is, did you do something like that? Or was it a more roundabout way of kind of parsing apart that situation? Well, for me, it was through community, I would have to say that I came to these conclusions. And um, so, again, to give you more context, um, I moved to Vancouver, I, um, I 
realized I had to see a therapist to help me because I didn't have all the answers myself. Um, seeing a therapist uh, really helped me piece together uh, also the why <laughs> of some of my struggles. And um, when I left therapy, I started journaling um, with the intention to just sort of, you know, uncover some of those stories I told myself. And um, basically, I started writing some love notes to myself. Um, and I, I continued to do that even after like therapy, like for, for months after I continued writing to myself. And um, a lot of this I brought into the community, you know, the intention piece of, of running with the awareness that you're running in a space that um, sort of welcomes a few, certain few, um, doesn't feel welcoming to others and um, interrogating those things in, in, in community and um, also doing that inner work afterwards, continuing that inner work afterwards. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel like constantly asking why um, and then sharing that in community to see the other answers and responses that are there. Um, yeah, I don't know if I lost my train of thought and I don't know if I answered your question, sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. I lose my train of thought all the time. Anybody, anybody that listens to this regularly will have heard me say, uh, I don't know what I was going to ask now. <laughs> no, so um, I think you kind of let into it a little bit um but you know the the overarching question is okay well so you all say dealt with your demons though you know we all i guess i can't speak for you i guess it's a continual progress process mm. for me yeah. um you know things pop up from time to time and you go get back <laughs> but um so project love run you know you worked on yourself you were already part of the community so I think that's maybe the answer but you know what I want to ask is well why start something I mean that's it's a lot of effort right like mm. you, you know you've expanded to five cities now um, clearly this is not just you getting together with a couple friends on the weekend um, and calling it a day like it's it, there's more than that so so um, can you walk me through the decision or maybe the process of saying, okay, let's try to make this a thing. And did you have the idea that you wanted it to be multi-cities or was it just like, let's see, see what happens? Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of the multi, the, the multiple cities um, sort of took root on its own. It was like an organic growth. Um, I, was in Toronto when I founded it in 2016. And then when I moved here, because I was, you know, still trying to find a home here and um, feel like I was at home in a new city, it didn't start up immediately here. And um, 
while I was in therapy, I hadn't started it up here, but after my therapy um, and when I didn't no longer have that to lean on as a support, it made sense to sort of cultivate this community space here in Vancouver where I would feel supported by other like-minded women and I would be able to share some of my struggles and stories of, you know, struggles that I was facing and feel like I was heard. And just that release in, in, that, in that safe setting was therapeutic. And, um, you know, as you share stories, you realize that your story is not unique. A lot of folks are struggling in the same ways and that sort of just helps reinforce course the messaging that it's not you it's something bigger than you um and yeah it, it is a lot of work to have it in different cities and um to keep it going but um i think the beauty of it is that you know it's just a community space where we're all we're in all the cities that project cleverin is in we're all guided by the same philosophy of where um, we use running as a medium to emphasize self-love and self-worth. We use our monthly themes to unpack how running culture intersects with these oppressive systems. So for example, every month we focus on a different theme. Um, last month we focused on uh, body positivity and how it's been co-opted by brands to represent one thing and it's lost its roots, which was um, more, which stemmed from, you know, fat activism. And so we, tar we, we tackle these bigger issues as a community and um, the, the whole idea is just to show women that, um, collectively we can heal together and um there there are ways possible ways of overcoming these barriers and um doing so in community is a lot more easier than doing it on your own a lot of things to unpack here um <laughs> good things but just so uh I guess I'll touch on the, you're talking about the idea of some of these positive themes being co-opted by corporations, um, basically is like a means of marketing and virtue signaling almost, and, or maybe not almost, the qualifiers probably like not needed there. Um, my brain is not fast enough to work this out, so I'm hoping you can help me. I think about, so as anybody listening knows, I, I try to work these things out in real time. And sometimes my brain doesn't work right. So, so I always say, I'll just make an ass of myself and then you can help, help, help me figure it out. So when I think about, let's say like women's empowerment or um, just self-love in general, right? Mm -hmm. um, pick a niche, doesn't really matter. You know, there's going to be some brand that big or small 
that probably identifies and uses it as a marketing message. In some ways, I can see it as like, like obviously, you know, this conversation is associated with my brain and I'm not trying to just like co-opt what you have to say. I'm hopefully giving you a platform to speak, speak your mind. And I try to do that from an, like a place of authenticity. But I also think about like, as, as you scale that message, do you lose that authenticity? And then I guess I, I don't know that I have a question, but just I, I'm thinking about the conflicts between having a big platform. So let's say like, a, like I'm a nobody basically, but let's say like a major brand, you know, a Nike, a Gatorade, a whoever, you know, it's like a multinational kind of brand. Mm. co-ops a message obviously that message now gets in front of a lot more people and hopefully they can see as you mentioned like that there are other people that identify maybe as they do or that share similar stories but then also the, the brand gets that you know positive feedback by association when the message may in some ways get watered down at the same time and lose that authenticity so I guess I'm just asking for your thoughts, maybe. I guess I, I, it's, it's not a fully cogent question by any means, but I'm just trying to think about the, the dichotomy between like trying to help people come together and share their stories with one another and then seeing, um, you know, seeing that other people share similar ideologies or experiences brand's ability to share that message quickly, but then also the negative side of that. So I guess, could you talk to me about that situation and, and your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I feel like with, with brands, they tend to like, you know, they're driven by sales. And, and so what, selves is what they're going to focus on and so when it comes to body positivity um this messaging right now which emphasizes you know empowerment and feelings and bodies um it resonates with a lot of people and at the same time it's you know it's i i would say like with the brands what ends up happening and what's the downside to them using their platform to um, share this messaging is that it's certain people that get centered and are represented with this messaging to make it sell <laughs> and that leaves out a huge vast number of other folks that are not like, you know, like won't necessarily result in, in sales or, okay. So for example, I'll get more specific because I feel like I'm just talking very vaguely right now. Um, okay. That's so what to, I do. It's okay. to, be, to be more specific. Um, so the messaging of body positivity right now, if you search it up on Instagram tends to send center a lot of thin, white, able-bodied, you know, cis women. And 
women that don't feel confident in their bodies for whatever reasons, like let's say having rolls and cellulite and you know extra body fat. That messaging, although positive for lack of a better word, doesn't really tackle the real issue that is, you know, what most folks in marginalized bodies are fighting for, which is, for example, fat activists talking about, um, you know, anti-fat bias and, and weight stigma and um, all of these things, they're not sexy to talk about. So um, that often gets left off on the side and then you know, it's just about targeting the majority and making sales and capturing a new audience with this messaging. That's what it becomes, turns into. So body positivity as it is right now has become that. Um, it's it's just an empty, empty slogan, I would say. It's, it's, it's not doing much to target those systemic issues that exist in in our societies that force folks to want to change their bodies to or control their bodies to fit in and to feel like they belong and to feel like they're worthy i hope that answers <laughs> I, I don't think anything with the conversation would be as a straight this is the absolute answer so i wouldn't feel feel obligated in that regard um, this is something I, um, I guess I'll say it, I struggle with, obviously as a relatively thin straight white guy, I'm very overrepresented in all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? Like just clones of me are everywhere pretty much. Um, and I, I try to be conscious, um, of like when I'm putting together, like right now, I just did a re I just redid uh, labels for my like swim series, and I need new, I need photos and stuff with people and, and you know, so I try to be conscious of uh, getting like a diverse group of men and women. Actually, it's more women that use the product um, to you know model with it. I'm also limited by like who's available in my own price range. But the thing I struggle with is I, and maybe it's, maybe this is like imposter syndrome. Um, so I, maybe I'm seeking validation. I don't know. Again, I just thought I completely thought out, but I, the thing I struggle with is like, I, I want to try to be authentic and not just be like, like I mentioned earlier, like just virtue signaling, like, oh, look at my diverse portfolio of people that are modeling with my product. You know what I mean? Like, that's just bullshit. Like that, if you come from that place, and that's like, I'm not trying to come from that place, but like, I question myself. I'm like, try, like, like, how do I, how do I do this authentically? I think is the thing that I, I struggle with because I run a company and I do want to sell products, mm -hmm. but it's like, and I also un understand it and not, and try to understand and hear the realities of people that don't look like me. So I guess, can you uh, 
hopefully educate me a little bit and give me a little insight. Like how, how would you, uh, I guess, approach my situation if you were in my shoes? I feel like just drawing an awareness to the fact that that is a struggle that you're faced with, you know, um, first of all, you're trying to sell a product and you know your audience better it's probably a majority of folks that have this, this the privileges of being in an able body um a smaller body um so that is one thing the other thing is like the market for folks in in larger bodies like you know it it i i can't speak to it exactly like when it comes to product and stuff because i'm not in that field but um what i think is like a lot of brands do say that it costs money to make products a certain way and i i feel like that sometimes is just an excuse um and we need to be talking to like even me sitting here right now, I am in a smaller body, I am in an able body. So unless I have that conversation with someone who doesn't have those privileges, will I know how to go about doing it differently, you know, and and just to come back to Project Love Run and the space that we have, we're trying to foster that. And so for me, sharing um, this theme even on the commodification of body positivity, uh, speaking to it, I am not someone who identifies as, as a fat person. Um, and when I'm using that, I'm using it in a neutral term. Um, but I'm there speaking as an ally, drawing an awareness to how our societies are um are set up to to favor folks in you know smaller bodies or in certain ways so um i think yeah create just initiating those conversations with the right people is a place to start i would say and then centering their experience and trying to incorporate that somehow into what you're doing like um yeah <laughs> i hope i answered yeah, no, i can right. talk more about how this um and just like this theme intersects with the running culture um but when it comes to the product itself like i i don't have much experience yeah it doesn't have product. to be my particular product it's just <laughs> like i said just trying to come from that place of like so like i know you know because it's my job to learn to try to learn about these things i sometimes I think about like i've referred to this on the, a previous podcast um throughout the years uh, which ones i couldn't tell you at this point but like the dark side of marketing is what i like to refer to it as like there's it's, it's almost like star wars like there's the light side and there's the dark side and like your goal is obviously to persuade somebody to buy something um hopefully from a place of like i genuinely want to help them and i want to show them that this product can help them with their problem mm. but they're like the dark side of marketing and I'll, I'll refer to it as the dark side of marketing like preys on your insecurities 
and then uses those insecurities as a point of persuasion to go like, you're not good enough, but if you if you buy this special thing, like it, it's it's gonna fill that hole in your heart. Yeah. And that's the part where it's like, I think is a very clear line of delineation where you go, okay, that's not right. But it's like, mm. there's gray, there's gray in between where it's like sometimes like um, as an example, what like my best-selling product deals with like uh, uh, like uh, fungus on your skin, which is not a, like a fun conversation, but for most people to have, right? And that it's in itself can lead to like insecurities. So it's like that product can help you with that problem, which leads to insecurities. But I have the option to go either way, like to prey on the insecurities and be like, nobody loves you unless you use this product or I can be like, no, like they just solve the problem. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit, but um, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a tough position to be in, I think. Um, yeah. And, I mean, and a, a place know, of privilege, but, but a tough position nonetheless. I think, I think interrogating that and asking why is it set up that way like right. why why is it this way and and if you unpack that further you'll realize that our societies are governed by you know white supremacy and um these other oppressive systems that make it that way you know so i think just realizing that is a is a big step um and and moving in a different direction and disrupt, making attempts to disrupt that system yeah I, I think that one of the things that is tough and, and i think people would certainly disagree with me um and, and i'm open to being wrong about so you know uh, Gosh, why did I just forget her name? It'll come to me. Another guest, we're having a really uh, good conversation basically about like the systems of oppression um, that exist within our cultures. We'll speak to the North American culture since I don't really know enough about cultures abroad to speak to them. Um, And how it's hard, number one, to identify them, especially if you benefit from them, i.e. me, Um, because I, I get the positive right like i get the positive side of it like i don't things go smoothly for me or smoother mm-hmm. um and so it's sometimes i think it's difficult for people that benefit from a system to be self-aware enough to realize that there are parts of that system in place <clears throat> that don't benefit others it takes mm-hmm. i think one empathy because if you lack empathy like you're going to be like as the often thrown around phrase on the internet, fuck you, I got mine. You know what I mean? Like you go, well, I'm good. Don't need to help anybody else. Mm. Um, but the, the thing I think is difficult um, that I struggle with uh, for various reasons is that when you were trying to combat a system of oppression regardless of what it is coming at it from a place of 
creation and building in a, in a positive direction. I'll say more like, like Martin Luther King, like nonviolent protest or Gandhi. Um, but this is where I say people might certainly disagree with me because there are some who would say, well, violent revolution is the only answer to a violent system of oppression. And I will be the first to admit, I certainly don't have the answer. <laughs> mm. I'm willing to try to struggle with it, but I don't have the answer. Um, but I'd like to think the kind of like idealist in me goes like, I wish love could change all. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's tough because it feels like, it feels like violence only begets more violence. Even if it does break a system of oppression, does it create a new system of oppression which then needs to be broken? So I, I, I just, you know, again, it's a question I don't have an answer to. Yeah. Well, see, okay. For me, I, I, I know that for so many reasons, a lot of folks, the whole, the idea of, you know, self-love and. Um, that messaging feels just so out of touch and so very woo woo. And I think just drawing an awareness to that fact that not everyone is at that place. And I'll just use again, Project Cleverin as an example. So yeah, yeah, please. our community is founded on a love ethic and I'm inspired by folks like Bell Hooks and Audrey Lord and um, and using their messaging to just um, bring women together and just having them like having us in community share stories of how a lot of us are navigating inherited body shame and that makes us feel unworthy and then also sharing stories about how a lot of us are conditioned to believe that our bodies need constant fixing and that these products are going to be the solution to that and you know just showcasing constantly that all of these issues are a byproduct of our loveless societies that are governed by these oppressive systems and these systems profit off our insecurities just like what you were saying so i i hear I hear when when folks say that you need like a stronger force or you know what you said violence and to to uproot and disrupt these systems I don't really agree with that messaging I feel like you know to learn to love yourself in a world that makes you feel unloved and unworthy is like a superpower <laughs> and then once you've discovered that self-love you're more able to love other folks as a result and you start to learn the truth about how our systems of domination operate and they benefit from us feeling like we need to go against each other and go against ourselves and um and we're not just we're not going to do that we're going to choose to love to move to 
to move against these prevailing um, values of the culture of dominance, if that makes any sense. But, you know, using self-love as that starting place to work towards something different than what already exists. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, Philson, as we're, <clears throat> excuse me, as we're kind of running down on time, um, I ask everybody the same question for a season. So I have a new question every single season. Um, and this season's question, I like to ask you, I, I, I'm hoping, or I think you'll probably have a unique answer, um, is how do you celebrate your wins? How do I celebrate my wins? Um, uh, I'm taking a moment just a moment to reflect on all it took to get there and just living in that moment for a bit longer and i do that by just constantly journaling and reflecting my thoughts um on yeah on on the small things the small feats It's, it's something I, I like that question. My um, an entrepreneur friend of mine suggested that for me. She, she suggests, much like the why question, that we don't celebrate our wins enough. Mm. So that's why I wanted to focus on it this season um, to hopefully bring some collective wisdom. Because at the end of the year, then I, we you know, put all of the answers together into like a mega video. Mm. Um, so I'm hopefully can help people find new ways to one to acknowledge that they should celebrate their wins i'm terrible at that um working on it and you know and then hopefully see different ways that you can do that it's not always about a big you know outward show and parties mm -hmm. and like you said maybe it's just taking a moment and reflecting or writing down mm -hmm. uh, you know about what it is so thank you for sharing that um Dawson, if people want to find you, engage with Project Love Run, uh, where can they do that? Well, on Instagram, on, you can find us on the gram, like they say, um, <laughs> at Project Love Run and um, at, for the community updates and um, inspiration. And then for my personal um, account, that is Runner's Instinct at runner's instinct um we i also do write on the blog um quite a lot on projectclubrun.com so they can check that out the website and uh yeah sounds so, good that's pretty thanks much thanks for hanging out with me today thank you yeah it was a great conversation um and yeah nice chatting with you as well <laughs>